I love creative educators, and in this episode of the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, I share conversation with Larissa Wright Elson, who brings many helpful insights and much good advice for us white teachers and parents to deepen and expand our non-racist mindsets so that we are better able to increase the skills necessary to nurture ourselves and our students to become progressively more anti-racist. Larissa holds a master's degree in educational technology. She's a Google for Education certified trainer, flipped learning trainer. She's also a level two Google certified educator as well as an Apple teacher. And Larissa is a 2018 PBS Digital Innovator All-Star. But how much would any of that matter without her 18 years in the classrooms of the Anchorage, Alaska School District, teaching a wide variety of subjects to 7th through 12th grade students, right? you got to have those real-life interactions, and Larissa does. If you're open to learning specific ways to stretch your influence beyond being a non-racist, towards developing yourself as an authentic anti-racist, you will appreciate this conversation and the resources available, thanks to Larissa, uh, in this show's notes. Thank you for being here with us on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. I am Nene White, and I mean this more than you can imagine. I am so grateful you're here, thinking together and learning together with me. Larissa Wright Elson. Thank yes. you for being here. I, I'm just honored. I came across something that you had written uh, on uh, Facebook on the PBS site. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed and really humbled and really uh, grateful for the generosity of how much you had to offer. So that's why we're here having this conversation. Oh, uh, thanks. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So I think one of the first things that came out to me was your incredible credentials and uh, how much respect you have garnered from all corners of uh, many, many corners of the educational world. And yet you still um, express that you are not 100% confident that your actions and your rhetoric and your, the things that you say and the way you interact are always right when it comes to uh, anti-racism. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, do you have any theories about why that's true? Well, um, I do. I have a few theories. I, th- I think what it kind of boils down to certainly my upbringing um, with my parents and the, um, especially the high school I went to, um, that that's what they teach you. You, you are a lifelong learner. And I think as a teacher, as an educator, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't say like, I always have more to learn. I think you can become, you know, an, an expert in your field and still see room for growth, room for learning, because we are all on um, a, a journey to have a better understanding. And when you, when you um, know better, you can do better, right? So, I might have been a, a good teacher 
uh, 20 years ago, but made mistakes for those students. And as I learned more about education, as I learned more about developing relationships with um, students and families, then I can be a better teacher, um, somebody who is more responsive and, um, and more reflective as well. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, uh, I think people kind of get old, start getting old when they think that, okay, I got it now. This is it. I, I know what reality is, you know, and what right. truth is. And you, yeah. and you can become complacent also. And it's, um, because it's, uh, it, it gets tiring, right? <laughs> right. Sometimes to have to keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. Um, and so you can become complacent with what the world is like around you and, and what your part isn't not knowing that you can affect change. It might be just a little bit at a time, but you can affect change. And as, as teachers, um, we have that, um, that place in the world where we can continue to make changes to the education system and to how we teach um, certain works in order to, again, like, you know, be, be better. Yeah, right. Do you, uh, exactly, do you want to, do you feel like sharing with us some ways that you've caught yourself, uh, maybe, I mean, if you don't feel like it, I don't blame you because it's hard. <laughs> and I've caught myself and it was just like, Ooh, I have that bias. Ooh, I'm making that judgment, you know? And so right. I, and um, I'll happy, I'll be happy in this conversation even to share what those are, mm -hmm. because I think it's important because they were so unconscious and that's what unconscious is, you know, it's exactly. Well, and sometimes you, you don't, you don't realize what's happening around you until, until much, much later. Um, and I, I don't know that recently I've caught myself in the moment, but I have um, like through the national board certification, if your listeners are familiar with that, um, it's a really reflective process for educators. And it really has more to do with uh, pedagogy and, um, and, and in, you know, the instruction and responses to student learning in the classroom, but you can grow that a little bit more to look for, um, you know, gender bias and, um, and racial uh, bias so that, you know, are you calling on boys more than girls? Are you, um, you know, kind of, you know, from relatively minor things, like maybe stereotyping the, the football players in your class um, to, you know, and I've never, fortunately, I've never done this, you know, to making comments on um, the hair of girls or, you know, racial stereotypes or, um, or class stereotypes, all the socioeconomic stuff that happens. And it's interesting because um, so much of that gets reported then in the news and you, as a teacher, you might say to yourself, oh, I've never done that. I've never done that. But you really have to question, you might think that you've never done that, but that might not be exactly how you came off to students um, with microaggressions and, and other kinds of things. Like, what is it that I do? And I, I think that we can fall into this trap of um, fearing mistakes. So we, we pull back a little bit too much of ourselves, but what's really essential is 
reflection on what did we do well and where are our mistakes and how do we apologize for them mm -hmm. to show that we're human. So if I, you know, were to make a comment to a student in class one day and then think about how that might have been perceived um, and apologize and apologize where other kids can hear it the next day and just say, you know, I really shouldn't have said that. I'm, I don't know. I don't know how you took it. Um, but as I think about the comment that I made to you, I shouldn't have said that. Or um, even things like making eye contact is, is um, you know, something that's frequently being reported by students these days. So when teachers are talking about um, racism or they're talking about like the history of um, African Americans in the United States and slavery, or they're reading, um, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird or Huckleberry Finn in class. And when that uh, word is said, they look to the kids who appear um, to be darker skinned than the other kids. That that's that's where they're looking, whether it's for um, a reaction or for validation of what it is that the teacher is saying. That the kids feel that because sometimes you know teachers or teenagers want to disappear in class. They don't want the teacher looking at them when they're they're saying something that they think might connect and. Um, and so I think we have to be aware of all of those subtleties in our um, body language, in our eye contact, and where we physically are in the room at those moments too, and, um, and not be afraid to apologize later on, like to show, to show yeah. that you're learning, right? Yeah, yeah. Apologies are wonderful things. And when we mm -hmm. give them to students, it's such an uncommon event that they have real impact because right yeah that's a and beautiful I, point and and students remember that i think they have a lot of experiences um as many of us do with adults who don't apologize for their actions who just don't see anything wrong with it and um and often for adolescents um there are so many adults in society who who see them as you know kind of a little bit less than they're you know they're less mature than me they're less educated um they've had fewer life experiences and um and teenagers i think they they need to be seen as those um, future or really imminent adults that they are and um, and treated respectfully and not with any hints of of condescension like can happen, you know, even with with caring teachers, it can it happens. So true. And and that for me leads right into this next question that I wanted to ask you is that in this article that I read on, on Facebook from PBS. You said that you're passionate about the Socratic seminar and and that those Socratic interactions mm -hmm. and to me that those cannot happen without mutual respect. Right, and it's it they they can't and it's something that teachers need to closely monitor and that students need to fully um, or as fully as possible uh, be invested in as well. Um, the Socratic method um, has so. It can go so deep um, that it can actually be upsetting, I think, in, in some circumstances. Um, and it's, 
I would say listening is probably more important than the questioning in the Socratic method. What are, what are people saying to you? What is that tone? What are the words that are being used? Um, and then how do you kind of shift and respond and ask follow-ups uh, questions that promote additional understanding and clarification, um, not to feel that um, you're digging too deep into something, you know, that, that might be painful for your, with, you know, with your classmates or as a teacher that might be painful for your, for your students to bring up, but to notice where that boundary is. And it's all about, you know, the ways in which we communicate in order to illuminate something. Um, and I think the thing I like the most about that Socratic method is that it is dependent on the students to make it successful. Um, it's not dependent on the teacher to um, have to, you know, know a topic to lecture or to tell students um, how to feel or or what to think or how to process information. But it's it's the kids who make it amazing um, and I'd, I've had times in class with um, with students where I want to cry because what they've said is so much more than I could ever have done for them that they you know through that dialogue with their peers they you know, they know things um, and it teaches them how to investigate and go further in later situations in their lives as well. And it teaches them to listen too, because then they probably hear things that they, uh, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I understand what you're saying that it's on the students and that listening is more important than the questions. But honestly, I think the questions, you know, that whole dynamic of how they all balance each other is so important because the questions need to be based on the listening right and so yes. and so it's such a beautiful balance but listening do you want to i mean that is such a i was just born a, a natural listener i really there's something about me that just opens up and that's just how i am so i can't it's not bragging it's just you know i have blue eyes or whatever <laughs> you know but what would you as a as a highly you know lots of experience and respect as an educator how would you help people to open up that part of themselves because it's such a, a relationship enriching skill so I, I think you have to have a, a willingness um a willingness to to change right um and you have to have a a willingness to kind of risk yourself a little bit to even ask some of those questions. Um, I know I ask um, ignorant questions sometimes and I'll apologize ahead of time and I'll just say, I don't know how to ask this. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm trying to come from a, a good place. Um, I have a, a good friend who I work with who is native Alaskan and um, and I apologize to her all the time. And I, <laughs> I, I do my best. I think she thinks I'm better than I am. So maybe some of it is my own thought process. <laughs> but um, I'll ask a question. I'm like, can you explain this to me? I'm not sure how to phrase my question. And so um, I kind of put myself at risk of, of being a little bit um, ignorant. And that ignorance is also a vulnerability, you know, for those of us who care how we come off and we care how um, 
we could possibly make other people feel. And so sometimes it's, it's asking those questions that are, are difficult. I think um, using that Socratic method in, in school, I have students write their own questions. Um, I taught with Socratic seminar for a long time. And then um, one of my uh, former students came to visit me at school one day and brought me a book called uh, Make Just One Change. And it's from the Right Question Institute. And it's oh. all about promoting students to ask the questions oh. and figure out what, what are the questions then that are going to help um, promote civil discourse and a, a really, you know, interesting seminar and, and go deeper. Um, and so we spend a lot of time playing with the questions in class and have, you know, dedicate like a whole class period just to writing the questions um, and then filtering through the questions and rewriting the questions. And then we try them out in Socratic seminar. And if it doesn't go well, we know it comes back to that question again. Yeah. And I, I hope that that process is one that has shown students later on how important it is to, to ask things, even if it's awkward, um, and that you learn as much from a poorly worded question sometimes as you do from one that is, you know, super clean and, sh and sharp. Right. I, don't, I don't know. I need more of my former students to come back and let me know how, you know, how that is, but it, it helps them with other things like writing research questions and, and stuff later on that you continue to adjust that question, you know, sometimes even on the fly um, in that, uh, a Socratic seminar, or if it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you can adjust your question to kind of tune in to more of what you were hoping to get from, you know, from your, your friend or your peer. Um, that makes me think of a lot of other things, but uh, I think, I think one fear that a lot of, ha of us have that we're walking around with, not, we might not even know about it is to come off as stupid. Right. You know? <laughs> And, um, mm -hmm. but actually people respect good questions, even if they come from, you know, a place of just complete unawareness of what the ramifications could be of the answer. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it's, uh, it probably depends on who it is that you're, you're speaking to, um, and then how, you know, how you're feeling even just about yourself that day and, you know, what your, what your situation is. I, what I like about even those, you know, kind of more ignorant sorts of questions is that it, it shows that the questioner knows that they have a gap in their knowledge that they want to have filled, right? Exactly. And, and so um, that recognition, you know, that there's space in there to continue learning is, is very important. Um, yeah. I think that there are 
there are things that are like dumb questions. Um, you know, teachers be like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, there <laughs> is. If it's obvious, somebody just wasn't paying attention, you know, 10 seconds earlier. Right. But if it's something that is really asking for clarification, because it's just not clicking, right. um, whether it's a big topic or a, a small topic, I think we have to have respect for that, um, for there to for us to always leave space um, for people to ask. So um, then I want to get back to this idea of, can you help people? Do you have other ideas for how people can, you know, be better listeners? I mean, okay, yes, we have to look at the person who's talking. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can even adjust our body or, or maybe none of that is interesting to you or, or, but that's just on the superficial level. What do we do with our, you know? Right. Well, and I tend to be somebody who will mirror what um, the other person is doing. So if you nod your head here in zoom, I'm going to nod my head to show that, um, that I'm paying attention. But I think years ago um, I had, Uh, a lot of professional learning from a group called the National Coalition Building Institute. And um, what they had us do in these listening sessions, and and since then, um, another professional learning (laughs) that's centered around listening, they've had us do it too. It's really hard, um, is to just hold still. So you just hold still and, and it's uncomfortable both as the listener, it's also uncomfortable Um, you know, for somebody like me who likes that mirroring, um, to have the person who should be listening to me hold still, but you hold still and then you, um, do some sort of paraphrase back that shows that you have heard and processed without making it about you, (laughs) Um, but that you've heard and processed what somebody else has had to say. And those are the difficult things for me. It's, it's hard not to have that mirror and it's hard. Um, I, I don't, I don't think I typically try to make everything about me. I hope I don't. Um, <laughs> but it's hard not to try to find a, a, my own like personal experience to then use to connect with somebody else. Like, oh, I kind of understand how you're feeling because X, Y, Z has happened to me. And I think, especially in this um, space, these conversations about racism, that's what a lot of us, you know, white people are are slipping into that I might've experienced gender bias. and I, or I might have seen examples of racism, but I have no idea really how that feels. Um, and it's, you, you so want to, you know, empathize and sympathize and, right. and feel what somebody else is feeling and you just can't. And, um, right. and you, and the, to start, I think this is a little bit more recent learning for me is, um, you don't, you don't have to, you can have consideration and understand somebody else's feelings without having experienced that. And you can help make change happen without having, you know, to personally like validate what it is that has happened to them. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, 
I went to um, a, a school in, in Pennsylvania that now like they, they're one of the schools and a lot of um, private schools have done this recently where they'll have like an Instagram account called like, you know, black at and then such and such a school. And so I started um, reading the Instagram account for this high school that I went to and then looking at the conversations that were happening uh, with um, the, the men and women that I graduated with and hearing about their accounts of racism that happened in the, you know, at the school at that time or um, in later classes or in that community where the school is. And I had no idea that those things were happening. And they were, um, and it was really painful to think, you know, that I was so clueless um, and I wanted to try to find ways to relate because these are all people, you know, I care really deeply for. And then I had to just step back and say, well, this is not about me. This is their experience. They're, they're being honest about it. Yeah. Um, and I think for educators, it's important to hear that from your students too, what, what, they're saying you should not um, try, <laughs> try, not that you shouldn't try to understand, you shouldn't try um, to speak to it unless you have had exactly those kinds of experiences yourself. And I haven't, and they right. have to um, right. be aware of that. Right, right. And yet there's so much value in learning about those experiences. Right. Because before George Floyd, mm -hmm. I would hear certain things. I would hear, you know, oh, black people don't get enough this or they're not recognized enough for this. And I'm so ashamed to tell you this, but I, I just put it out there because I think I'm so typical and I want other white people like me to, to just say, okay, because I've said this to a lot of black people that I've met along this journey that I've been on with One White Woman podcast mm -hmm. is that, I, I didn't know I wasn't paying attention. And that's how our culture sets it up for us right. is to not pay attention. So I thought that they were, I am ashamed to say that I thought that they were just complaining and having excuses. Mm -hmm. And the more that, you know, we open up and we just pay attention, as you're saying, we don't have to bring ourselves into it. We just have to really pay attention and notice and acknowledge and listen and, and, and see you know, instead right. of Nazi, which is what, what our education and the media and the, although it's changing, what, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's changing. And it's, um, and, and I think our role is to illuminate those issues and elevate those voices and elevate their voices. Like it, it was a little uncomfortable for me even to write that, that blog post, because I thought about, well, should I be, you know, should I be writing this? But they were getting other, other people of, of color, you know, black and indigenous and, you know, other um, people that PBS knew to continue to elevate their voices. Um, and then um, the way it was explained to me is that as a white person, how do you process these, these things and really truly understand where it is that somebody else is is coming from um and then how do you take those experiences once um you know you have that that moment where all of a sudden it clicks and you you say oh what have i been turning a, a blind eye to 
um, this is, you know, th this is awful. And um, I think one of my moments was with uh, Trayvon Martin in Florida and being, you know, now I'm a, the parent of a teenager who, who wears hoodies and, you know, walks to the mini mart and gets, you know, sodas and snacks. And, but at that time I was, you know, the teacher of high school students who did similar <laughs> kinds of things. And it was just so unfathomable um, yeah. to me yeah. that a teenager could be putting himself at risk um, and his, you know, not his neighborhood, but his community, right. um, through, through just being, through just being there, he wasn't yeah. doing anything. He yeah. was walking with snacks, which is, you know, what every, every teenager has done at some point. Um, and how do you, how do you start changing that? And some of it, um, you know, as a literature teacher is you, you do have to look at how it is that you, um, teach even classics like To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, there's a movement, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, they use Twitter a lot, it's called Disrupt Texts. And it was um, founded by women um, uh, who are, you know, Black, Indigenous, um, you know, women of color. Um, and it's not about not teaching those texts anymore, but teaching them through um, a different lens, a different perspective. So, you know, make them Georgia and to kill a mockingbird is, um, is an indicator of those times of the, of the 1930s in the South that Harper Lee was writing about, but society has continued to evolve and change, but by, by how much, um, and, you know, certainly Atticus Finch is, um, a celebrated character, but then um, he also falls into that white savior trope in literature and films. And that's, I think, you know, for us English teachers is the, the next step. Like you can keep teaching these books, but you need to be more critical of what it is that's happening. And it's not a criticism necessarily of the author um, but it, you're the, what we need to be aware of is how to be critical of that scene and not let it continue to, to play itself out. And I think that's kind of where we fit in as white people into this Black Lives Matter movement as well. We are not the savior stepping in, but we are helping our friends and colleagues and communities, um, work on healing and you know and saving themselves our place is not to save other adults but we can assist in that movement right and I think that's what you're doing as well you know where do we where do we fit in we don't want to make it about us <laughs> it's not about us um but we can we can help we don't have to just stand by and watch and we can wake up mm -hmm. we can wake up yeah I mean, a, a lot of it just comes down to that usually. Yeah. Um, that's really beautiful. And that's, you know, I just keep getting respect from you and everything that you're, um, you're explaining. And I just hear respect coming through this way and this way and this way. And I, 
I respect you so much for that and appreciate that because, you know, we all, that's what we all want. I mean, uh-huh. we all want love, but we all want respect. Right. Yeah. Because with without it, then we are, you know, kind of like I said earlier about how adults look at teenagers, we're not respecting them if we're not actually right. hearing what they have to say. And really, you know, for teenagers and for adults, sometimes what we say one day, we've changed our minds about the next day. And that's okay, too. As humans, we are continuing to evolve our positions. Yeah. And, and just as long as they keep evolving instead of devolving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, do you have any more lessons to share with us? I mean, I'm going to have a link in the uh, podcast notes to mm-hmm. that article. And, um, but do you want to share any more lessons with us now? Well, it's, um, it's Black History Month now. And, yeah. um, and I think think uh last year i we have and different states do this but we have an alaska educator like twitter chat and so um i had one for um black history month and um and women's history month and it is about asking those questions and how do you address address these kinds of topics there are so many extraordinary resources now i think because of um, the Black Lives Matter and the um, the murder of George Floyd last year helped to continue to you know bring all these things into the spotlight. Um, through tragedy, we can affect change. There's transformation that's connected to this tragedy, and um, educators and other people can. I, I think actually it helps everybody to even look at some of these educator resources that are out there um, from like PBS education, from disrupt texts, um, from organizations like Facing History um, and yes. teaching to- and teaching tolerance. Um, yes. Facing History has a good one I was just looking at the other day about uh, you know racist language. Um, intentionally racist language in books like To Kill a Mockingbird and Huckleberry Finn, that that language is used by the characters you are meant to dislike and despise. They are the, they are the, you know, the one dimensional um, people that, you know, society needs to move past and, and beyond, but it's so hard through our modern perspective um, to look at that language. And so how do you, how, how do you recognize that it's present without having to say it out loud sometimes, um, even if you're reading the words that are on a page um, and, and help, you know, help your students or your children, or, you know, if you're, if you're talking about these things, you know, oh, I remember when I read, you know, Huck Finn in high school, and, and this is what we said, how do you, keep moving past that facing history has some outstanding resources um i think a lot of these uh stereotypes regarding um religion particularly judaism um there are a lot of resources on teaching tolerance um that that cover all of it as well um that those are the places that that people can look because I do think that it is the education system that um, gets us 
as a society to uh, be critical of ourselves. We, you know, as educators promote critical thinking, you know, what do we think? We don't have to just say, well, the way I was taught is, is the way everybody should be taught. It should yeah. continue to, um, to change. And so our lens on To Kill a Mockingbird doesn't have to be you know, a 1950s lens, it can be, um, you know, a, a 2021 lens, and here's what we think of it now. It doesn't make it less of a book. It doesn't mean it has to move out of our canon of American literature. Right. And do you uh, bring in any of the contemporary works into your classes? Yeah. Um, that can be a little bit harder sometimes in, in school systems um, because more contemporary works will be a little bit edgier and they right, can make right. people a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, but to find ways um, to either, you know, introduce new novels, working through your school or your school district is, is vital because, um, district and school leadership can't necessarily have read everything that's that's coming out. So being able to to bring up a work of literature and, and say, can I use this? Um, a friend of mine a couple of years ago introduced um, in her AP language class the, uh, I can't remember the title right now, but it's a set of graphic novels about um, the civil rights movement and uh, representative John Lewis and how he fit into those. And those were amazing incredible um, yeah and so that's just an easy one you say yeah. yes you know let's teach that um i think also with like young adult fiction is extraordinary these days and um books especially like the hate you give yeah. um and dear martin um was another one that was that was great um I feel like anything by Jason Reynolds is extraordinary. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then there are just so many others. Um, so many others. And, and some of it is, is really making sure that the literature that's in your class is uh, reflective, not just of um, the students who are in your class, but yeah. of society as a whole. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked um, about... Um, the Ezra Jack Keats book, The Snowy Day. And when, uh -huh. and I read that, you know, when I was little, because <laughs> I'm a kid from the seventies right. um, and how it is that that picture book, it just shows, you know, this black child having very normal <laughs> childhood experiences. Right. right. So it's not like, here's me, you know, in the Connecticut suburbs um, where I was at the time. And then here's this little boy as like some sort of other, he's the same as, he's the same yeah. as me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being able to see yourself uh, reflected in what you watch on television and in the movies and um, in literature is probably the, you know, the best thing Huge. that society can do as a whole to continue to evolve because exactly. then you feel or I would imagine, because I, I, I know a little bit, maybe just as a woman and um, with a mother who has been extremely active in the women's rights movement that, you know, you do, when you see yourself, it gives you a little bit of a foundation to stand on to continue um, that change. Um, and I, that's something that I've become a lot more cognizant of in the last 
you know, probably five to 10 years or so is what is it that I'm watching on TV, especially when my own kids are around and they can see what I'm watching, that I'm not watching a show just because it has a, you know, a black character or a black family or, and that, but I'm watching it because it's a, a good show and then things become more normal, whatever normal is, but more normalized. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. And that goes back to that thing where that small, uneducated, miseducated me uh-huh. didn't understand why Black people were complaining that there wasn't enough of them in the media and in the movies and in the TV. And now it's because when you only see other white people, right. where are you validated? Where uh-huh. do you, how do you fit in? You're, you keep on having to be an other which yes. is so wrong. It's so inappropriate. And it's such a loss to all of us, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other topic, you know, that's yeah. very big and very, very important. Now you are in Alaska. So is there much of a black uh, community there in Alaska? There's uh, um, Anchorage is actually incredibly diverse. Um, we have some of the most diverse schools in the entire country. Wow. Um, it's, it's really shocking. I, can, oh, I, I should have looked up the information about that. Um, it's on the school district's uh, website. Uh, we have over 100 different languages spoken in the Anchorage School District. Um, and uh, but our our teaching community, our community of educators doesn't necessarily reflect the, you know, the community around us, which is something that both the state of Alaska and the Anchorage School District um, are continuing to uh, work um, <laughs> to change. It's, it's a, you know, a recognized issue. Um, and the I think that we we have a, a black community, but it's certainly not going to look anything like it looks in in other uh, large cities in in other states. Um, but we also have a very strong, you know, indigenous community um, of Native Alaskans um, whose voices we can continue to elevate and um, promote opportunities for those students, for those adults, and heal. Um, just like with the black community begin the steps to, to healing that um, systemic racism that exists um, uh, against our um, native Alaskans. And then also that generational trauma is, is another thing. I mean, sometimes you, you look at how the odds are stacked against people and you think, how do I, how do I help? It's, you know, it's going to take beyond my lifetime to, to see differences. Um, but you have, you know, you, you can't sit back and, and do nothing. So, um, as we, we went to a couple marches, uh, for Black Lives Matter during the summer, all masked up. And, um, my husband, who was very concerned about being in crowds said, you know, this is, something that's important that we do with our children. And so um, we were there, but recognizing, you know, we work for Black Lives Matter because um, that change can then help um, begin change for other groups that, that need to have it happen. And it's not in, you know, 
this or that. It's it's all of it, raising and elevating all of those voices. One thing I heard recently was that there are uh, real costs to white people who hold prejudice, who hold uh, biases against uh, others, Black mm-hmm. people, is what this podcast is about, is that um, they constantly have to are held by gripped by fear and oppression and and their and anxiety because mm-hmm. you know if you have to always be pushing against other what's happening inside of you right you know really and and the anger and you know the people that i've known like my father he changed thank goodness cuz i kept beating him up and he kept beating me up and i was not going to lose i was not going to lose <laughs> and he finally came around you know but it was you know he was so much more easygoing and happy and relaxed when that ugly thing that held him was eliminated or right. or greatly reduced so i the point i want to make here is that it's not just that we're you know elevating and and promote, you know doing that for black people it's that we're releasing ourselves from right from something that is an error, it's wrong. There are places in the world where people are just people, depend, no matter on their color. It just isn't an issue. It's so it's a, it's been made up, mm-hmm. made up. And I, I know you know all the history of that, mm-hmm. but it's just something for us to, you know, when you realize it was made up, it's not real, right? Do you want to say anything on that? I'm sure you could. Well, I'm just kind of, um, you know, thinking about anger and, and so often we're told, you know, don't, don't be angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't be, yeah. don't be angry. Oh, okay. Or like, you know, if you're, if you're angry at uh, my puppy's asleep right now, but if you're like angry at the dog, you don't want to, you don't want to stay angry. Right. Yeah. But that anger, you can channel it into appropriate, um, appropriate whatever I I actually I want to backpedal on that word because I I think that needs to be thrown out um because I um I you know I believe it's it it's appropriate to kneel during the national anthem as a sign of protest or um you know raise raise your fist raise your arm in the air like happened um you know in the olympics years ago those are appropriate peaceful ways um to protest but I also I don't have that same kind of anger and so um, although I might want to let go of, you know, of a kind of petty things that I'm angry about. I also don't have big things to be angry about on any kind of a regular basis. And so, um, I think understanding where that anger is, or, or when I'm angry for other people, how do I channel that into, um, action and change or, you know, that, that, um, transformation that can happen. Um, I I noticed a lot of frustration from white people in particular, um, about people being angry about things. Um, but they couldn't relate. They were frustrated by the 
by the anger and what they saw as like the the outcome of the anger over race issues but um and then they would hold up examples that were out of context say and say things like well martin luther king jr wasn't angry well of course he is <laughs> like you need to read a little bit more widely listen to more speeches you can hear the anger in his tone and sometimes you know any well anytime if you take words out of context you can say that an emotion is or isn't present right right um but i think it's okay to be uh, one thing we need to say um is that it's okay to be angry these are things to be angry about um like, this is terrible <laughs> yeah. it's terrible stuff and we just need to face it and we don't the i think the issue is that we we want to make things better and we can't um just make things better all at once if you have a a toddler who's angry about you know not getting a a car at the grocery store that's a very different situation than being angry about you know generations of abuse right and so you can make your toddler not angry anymore um hopefully not just by giving in and, and buying the car at the grocery store um but that's you know an example of where you don't you don't want to live in that anger over something that you didn't get but it's okay to live in some of this anger in order to use it to perpetuate um, or to end and perpetuate like a new um, kind of America and a new kind of world because it's not this racism isn't just here in the U.S. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's interesting what you say. There was a, I started this podcast right after George Floyd's murder, just shortly mm -hmm. after. And then I had about 12 conversations and then I couldn't do it anymore. It was just right. like, it had, it killed me. It was killing me, it's but it was also, mm -hmm. what? It's, over it's overwhelming. And I just thought, you know, I just went to, cause the pain, the, the realities, how they opened up to, and then it was just like it on its own. Mm -hmm. I didn't force it, but it, at one point it was just like, oh, I, I can deal with this, you know, but I think that um, that's kind of something that's on us, just like you said in the Socratic method, it's up to the mm -hmm. students to make it work. It's up to us white people. And that is what I'm the message I'm getting from black people is that it really is up to us to untangle this, this mess in our own hearts, in our own minds. You right. Know? And it's doable. And it's just one person at a time. We don't have to change anybody else, but we can share our learning with others. So in yep. a way, it's just each one of us taking responsibility for each one of us. I, I, and yeah, and being willing to, to face the hard stuff, to face your own anger or the anger of other people and, and not, not trying to fix it. Yeah. Um, that's really hard for me. I want to, I want to fix things yep. for people you're a teacher yeah right yeah exactly like right. well let me help you right i can't right. i can't do that kind of work but i can be aware of um of resources that would help others and um whether it's students or colleagues or um people in my in my own family you know the this is this is real and you need to 
be aware of um, the world outside your own immediate experiences. Um, yeah. It's really, you know, it, it is like, um, I think during the summer, I tried to read a lot and watch yeah. more documentaries and yeah. have a bigger, fuller understanding. Um, and then eventually I, it, it was emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Um, and I let myself stop just like you did. You let yourself stop and then, but also realize that we're able to do that because we're approaching it from a place of privilege already. We right. can pull back from it because right. it's not our every right. day. Right. Yeah. Every minute, every second. Is, right. And even that is hard. I'm sure it was hard for you to have to like, well, I'm going to pause this for a while. <laughs> oh, I just can't do it. No, but even in that every second I was aware of, I'm stopping. I can let go of this, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, so, so all of that is just so interesting because life just life is unfolding in its own way anyway, you know, right. so, so I'm just part of that and um, so grateful to someone like you who's really thinking about this with some courage and with some uh, amazing unique bravery that's just willing to make mistakes but more willing to learn just in the, in the name of learning and, and just how does life grow without learning? It doesn't, it doesn't. Right. Yeah. You can be a very, you know, different person at different stages of your life based on experiences and how you let them affect how you interact with the world. Right. And, and it's okay to, to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's very cool to have the courage to apologize and see how that affects others, you know, and how it affects yourself. And mm -hmm. I, I've learned so much in this conversation, Larissa. Is is there anything else you want to just? I think you know the the um, the world is such an amazing place, and um, and it's amazing, um, you know, because of. Uh, nature and because of humans who fit into nature um, and both for the good and, and bad, you know, the, the beauty that's in nature and also the, the tragedy or the violence. Um, it's all kind of part of who we are. And we, yeah. we learn how everything fits together in this whole ecosystem by, by looking closely at it and we can, um, we can tweak it in order to get the results that we want. And, um, and, <laughs> and it's important to look at those areas where we can just make, you know, make just one little tweak, make just one change, and it has a ripple effect on everything else. And so when you're feeling lost, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have that you have to do big things, but you can do small things in order to um, see change in the world. Really true. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, this you. was fun. Oh, <laughs> I like talking about these things. It's so fascinating to hear other people's um, perspectives. And then also it's a, you know, for me, it's a, another reflective opportunity yeah. um, to, to think about, well, what do I do? Cause you get so caught up in that um, in your everyday day to day, you know, right. world. And 
talking to one such as you gives me hope, you know, uh, besides the learning element, I, I just one more perspective of wisdom and insight really helps me and makes me feel this. Oh, yeah, I'm not alone. Of course, I'm not <laughs> alone. But it's just so nice to see how not alone I am. <laughs> So, but, and I, I think most teachers, you know, feel that way about all of their students too, that all you, you see so much silliness from teenagers and, yeah. and then all of a sudden you see something that absolutely blows you away. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that happens from one generation to the next, uh, adults are, tend to almost always be dismissive of teenagers and then they change the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you with all yeah, my heart. Thank, thank you. you for everything you're doing. And, and you'll send me some, the information that I asked about. Um, I will. Yep. Good, good, mm -hmm. wonderful. I'll get on enough. that this morning. And okay. I'll share that uh, on the show's notes and everything. And I'll send the link to you when it's ready. Good. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm looking forward to hearing everything. And I've been following uh, your podcast and um, yeah. It's good work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Larissa. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Just a quick reminder to go to the show's notes to click on the link for the article that Larissa wrote for PBS. It's got much, much more information that I'm sure you'll appreciate. You'll also find a link to Larissa's website there. If you have more questions or avenues of understanding you'd like me to pursue on this podcast, please accept my invitation to let me know about that. I love hearing from all of you. This kind of growth is so much more fulfilling when we engage in it together. I'm sure you agree. My email address is also in the show's notes. Okay, goodbye for now.